Need something for your kids to do these holidays? AFL Max runs footy programs and camps, focusing on skill development, fitness, leadership, nutrition and more. Each school holidays, jump on aflmax.com.au to learn more and register. Hi listeners, Pods here. Welcome to the Next Mentors podcast, a show that connects grassroots coaches to people that have got professional experience. This is episode two. The objective of Max Mentors is to give our community and aspiring coaches an insight into what different coaches do at the elite level and how it can be applied to grassroots. We know that a coach is the most influential person in any player's sporting life, junior or senior. No pressure, coaches. But hopefully, the learnings you get from our Max Mentors will help you take your coaching to the next level and assist in developing and engaging your players. Our guest today is Don Pike, the former head coach of the Adelaide Crows. Don is one of the most astute people I have met and had the pleasure of working with in my time in football. His attention to detail and his ability to zoom out and see the bigger picture, I think is one of his greatest assets as a coach. This is something that's really challenging for people to do, in particular for a coach, but it's definitely something that's stayed with me since my time working with Don. I hope you'll feel the same by the end of this episode. There is coaching gems here at Max Mentors, so get your notepads ready and let's press play on part A of my chat with Don. Thanks very much for joining us. You've done this, um, you've volunteered your time uh, tonight to, to you know, somewhat give back to coaching and I know you love talking about coaching, so thanks very much for your time tonight. Uh, all good. Look, uh, looking forward to it, Pods. And, you know, as I said, I was fortunate through my time in footy. You know, I've been fortunate to be part of, you know, successful clubs. Um, you know, I was at Claremont when we won some flags there. West Coast obviously had that success through the 90s. And um, and through that, you made a lot of good people and a lot of good coaches. And um, I guess my my in and out of footy was a little bit of, I, I was, you know, when while I was playing, we didn't, we didn't earn enough money to think we were going to retire on what we earned. It was more just giving a little bit of a head start. And then, you know, obviously getting into business gives you a different, slightly different skill set. So, but the passion's always there for the footy. Um, and that's really what drew me back into it about, you know, six, seven years ago was, you know, I was at a point where I was enjoying the business, but it's just not the same as being involved in footy and everyone who's part of it and all the people listening, you'll understand that. It doesn't matter whether you're coaching at a level, playing at amateur level or coaching or, or even helping out at, um, as a volunteer at lower level. Um, there's something really magnetic about footy clubs and about, yeah, being around a footy club in winter when, when the whips are cracking, the wind losing the draw, it's just an exciting place to be and uh, um, that's what I love about it. Yeah, agree, mate. Hey, um, we've got a lot of uh, junior coaches that are, that are tuned in tonight, so we might just start there and we'll talk about um, why did you choose footy as a kid um, or was there another sport that you actually um, played as well? Yeah, well, I grew up with two older brothers um, and obviously you mentioned my father who played at Perth Footy Club over here. So, you know, by the time I probably got to the age of, you know, four or five, it was it was quite clear that my older brothers played footy and fair to say back when I was growing up, the choices were a bit a bit less, you know, it was sort of footy in the winter and, and cricket in the summer were the main two sports which which dragged your attention and which all your mates were playing. So um, it was just sort of what was done, you know, and then quickly from there, I started watching the game. I started going to the games with my dad because he was doing some work at the Perth footy club. Um, 
and then just you know found that real passion and love of of the game and playing. And yeah, you know, it wasn't unusual for me to play. You know, Friday afternoon for the school. You know, Sunday morning with the under nines, and then I'd, I'd jump up and play under elevens, and if not under thirteens, if there was a spot available. So I just I just loved playing, and um, yeah, that was that was sort of start. So it wasn't like I necessarily chose footy. It was like. Footy was just part of the fabric of our family, um, and cricket, as I said, in the in the um, in the summer. Do you remember what, um, as a kid, uh, even when you sort of started transitioning into the elite level too? Do you remember what made you happy about football? Um, I just think it was always an enormous challenge. I mean, I, I think the other thing is I never started playing football with a view of playing AFL football. It, that wasn't. That wasn't what, you know, you sort of, you, you saw the, you know, and back in those days you're watching the winners, you know, it was a one-hour highlights package on a on a Sunday afternoon of the, of the VFL. Now it's sort of weird to look back and some of the guys which I would have watched, you know, guys like Simon Madden, Tim Watson, these guys, I was an Essendon follower growing up, you know, six, seven years later I was playing against them. But you, at the time it's almost like it's another world. So, but you weren't, you wanted to say it was aspirational and the focus wasn't as high as it was now because they're really strong state leagues. Um, and, and for me, it was more, I just loved the challenge of playing and trying to get to trying to get better and the, the, the competing. I mean, that's, you know, that's one thing I, I'm, I'm a competitor and I guess that sort of born out and playing footy is to, well, how can I, how can I get better? How can I improve my skills? Um, with a view to just enjoy playing and challenge myself to play at high levels that ultimately led me to play AFL footy, but I can't uh, start it out going, I want to play AFL one day. It was just, I want to play and enjoy playing and see how good I can get. Uh, I can second that. You're definitely a competitor. Seen you on the golf course, and you uh, you make me putt the three inch putts all the way. So. <laughs> I know people, should, hey, people should see your putting before they give give me the, what I give you on the golf course. Mate. I set myself up there. Hey, um, going into you know uh, transitioning to the waffle um, where it starts to get a bit more elite, and then going into the uh, the AFL. Do you remember um, how you used to learn the best as a player? Yeah, I, I was probably it's a bit the same with my golf. I actually learned a lot through watching. Um, which is, I know, an unusual way to do it, but I would actually watch players and um, then I would experiment myself through it. So, you know, and, and I was fortunate when I started playing um, at Claremont, which is probably, you know, I played league footy in Canberra before I went across, um, which was fantastic. I was a 16-year-old and you're playing against men and, you know, it was a, a learning experience. I wasn't the most, you know, strongest, biggest guy out there by any stretch, but you sort of learn to be able to play, apply your strengths to the game Um but I was fortunate, you know, some, some of my early coaches in, I, I worked with them, Bruce Monteith, who was a, obviously a Richmond champion and premiership captain at Richmond. He was the, the Colts coach when I started there. And then Jared Neesham was, was the coach of the league side I played in. And they were two, two guys who knew an awful lot about the game and what it took to be successful in the game, but also quite innovative in their own, their own right. So I was fortunate that coaching at that, that league level early um, and Colts and league level early was, was really strong, um, which – and it was consistent. So there was, you know, again, you had you know, Bruce who was very, you know, very clear on what he wanted in his vision. And I'd say the coaches here, that's, that's one thing which we'll talk about later. But, you know, I think it doesn't really matter what you want to achieve out of your coaching. The important thing is you have, a, you know, you, you have clarity around what it looks like, what you want from the players and what you think the players want from their season being a part of the club. Um, and both those guys had that. Um, and as I said, and Jared was probably more challenging and a bit of a forerunner to a lot of the, the tactics which were subsequently implemented into the AFL um, because of the way he thought about the game and he um, he sort of adapted things from a water polar environment. So um, they were teaching. They were, they were teachers of the game. Um, some of them were teaching you things which was the, 
you know, the requirements, the, the, the essentials of playing the game and others were teaching you the nuances of the game about the style and the strategy. And I guess having been a, a follower, a watcher, um, a bit of a student of it all, um, that all sort of melded into my playing and ultimately into me, me becoming a coach. Yeah, so to pick up on the point about you being a player that um, learned through watching, we had a question that came through actually during the week around how do you adapt your coaching style when it comes to you've got some players that learn through um, you know, vision, some players that learn through just watching games, some players just need to feel it and play it. How do you actually adapt your coaching and how does it, how does it adapt with like players that are just at that elite level versus players that are um, you know, new to the game? Uh, how do you adapt I suppose. Yeah. And I think the thing is you've got to provide opportunity for all those different learners to learn in their own way. Um, and it's not one size fits all. So there might be guys who visually learn really well. Guys might be able to read things and take it on board and understand it. Other guys want to do walkthroughs or, or physically be doing it. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges of coaching is to make sure you, you sort of provide all those different opportunities for all those different personality types to, um, uh, or learning types, not personality types, learning types to really be able to go, okay, I now understand it. And yeah, what you do is you work with your group to work out who's really getting it. We're all, we've all seen there the whole like, right. You explain a drill and you get everyone got it. You get all the nods of the heads. Yeah. All good. And they run out and they look at each other like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> um, you know, so there's a bit of you got to either bring a whiteboard out onto the track so you can actually explain it, explain it beforehand, whether it be through a PowerPoint or a keynote or on the, you know, get a player to explain it to a player, get them to explain. So how how you can actually vary that up, but be um, to give them the, mo- the most clarity because the reality is what you want in coaching, and my belief is what you want in coaching is you want the players to have a really clear picture in their mind as to how you want to play, um, and you want to have a clear picture in their mind as to what is it there their strengths, you know, what is it they're actually bringing to the table? And often in coaching, we can be, or it's easy to be critical of the things that people can't do. But the reality is if, if you know, what people are in the team for is really why you pick them. And if they don't bring that, um, then their, their, you know, their, their weaknesses will be highlighted potentially. But at least if they bring that, their weaknesses you can overlook. And there's not a player alive that hasn't got weaknesses or multiple weaknesses, but their ability to do what they do really well consistently is what makes them the best players. Um, so from a coaching viewpoint, important you maintain that, you know, that those guys understand what they're bringing, but also from a total team viewpoint, the players have a really clear picture in their head as is, well, how do you want to play? Um, and what is this, you know, what is this drill or this exercise going to elicit, which we're going to see on game day? So we just pick up that point for a bit of talking about how you um, get, get that message to the players on how you want to play. For our community coaches, obviously, some of them are you know short on resources. The AFL has gone through a, um, I suppose, the last fifteen years a, a big growth in technology and, and vision and stuff, and that might change. You don't know in the next sort of five years uh, with, with with what's going on with soft caps and stuff. But have you got any advice to community coaches out there on how you actually uh, what techniques that they can use to actually show a um, show a piece of vision or show a way that you want them, want them to play? Yeah, and that really depends on what resources you've got. Um, you know, if you've got, if you're fortunate enough to have video, you know, that's of a good enough quality that will actually show that without you know you're sitting there looking at a grainy vision of something that's you know a long way away. It's it's kind of hard. Um, I, I think it's more if you can get them to from a review viewpoint actually understand what is the basis of how you want to play and how you're measuring that and make that really clear 
Um, and then ultimately the drills, as I said before, the drills you do on a, a weekly basis or in the lead up to your season should reflect that style. So if you're coming in going, we want to go long and deep into our forward line quickly, well, the drills you do in the week should actually reflect the opportunity to get it roll and just punch it in there. If you want to shift the ball across the ground with you know, Mark style because you've got a highly skilled team, well, then your drill should reflect that. Um, and what that does over time, Pods, is that just builds up their um, their sort of understanding of what it is you're looking for, but they get a clarity around, okay, that's the style of play. Then when you see it in a, in a training session, you're able to tell the players, that's what we're looking for. That's that's really what we'll – so then when that happens in the game, you'll be able to reference it back. Um Using your resources at, at, at community level, I'd say it's minimal sufficiency, is you look for being able to provide the minimum amount of information to get the clarity that they need. And, yeah, you don't have time to go into the depth and the detail, but if it's one coaching point, and we're all guilty of it as coaches, at AFL level probably more so because we've got behind the goals at each end, we've got wide angle, we've got in close, is, you know, there's vision, rewind, you can look at it 100 times. Um but it's really how do we actually, if you're running a meeting and you've done this pods when you're working in Adelaide with us, what are the two things you want them to walk out of this meeting thinking? And what do you want them to recall? Or what do you want them to learn? Um, and then you focus whatever clips and how you want to do it um, to get those two things. How you do it is, is where you have to be prepared to, to use variation to go, these are the two things that I need to learn. So if you want them going, we need to play on quicker or we need to improve our tackling, um, how you get them to that point and how you actually then educate and train it they're all tied together um, in, in the sort of the loop, if you like, of, of sort of play, review, train, plan and play a game type of thing. What is it about coaching that you love? Oh, I think, you know, the opportunity to take a group of primarily young, young men or yeah, guys who are, who are learning and, and see them actually grow and improve um, and come together and be able to do something which is bigger than one person. That's, that's the, the joy is to be able to, you know, the, the half an hour after a game and you've had a really good win and you've sort of it all comes together. Um, that, that's goal. I mean, that's, that's the buzz. That's, that's really what it's, you know, you've been part of it. Well, you were all fortunate to have been part of it, which is great. It doesn't matter what level you played at, it's irrelevant. I mean, winning the E-grade amateur championship will be as big a buzz for those guys as the guys who win the grand final. Um, because they've put energy in, in yeah, and they've they've trained and they've worked together and they've actually been able to achieve something. Um, a premiership's a premiership. Um, so for me, it's it's that individual improvement, you know. And I'm big on continuous improvement. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, you've got to be looking to get better. I mean, Roger Federer is still running around at 38 playing tennis, not because he needs the money. You know, I think Roger's going to be all right, but I think he he does it because. A, he's good enough, but he wants to see, can he win more majors? Can he continue to be the best player? He loves playing tennis. And for him, it's about how do I keep getting better to stop the other guys pushing me off the pedestal? And, you know, that's why he'll go down as one of the, the all-time greats, but also one of the all-time greats, not only for his quality of play, but his longevity of play. Um, to be as good as he is now um, at 38 is, is a phenomenal achievement in what is a, a tough, you know, global, global game. Thanks for listening, and we hope you're enjoying this episode of Max Mentors. We'll be right back after this short message from our partner. Grab your team and come and train together in our indoor 5,500 metre square venue at AFL Max. Have fun and even share a meal together. A great way to celebrate the season. Inquire now at aflmax.com.au. I want to ask you, we've got a lot of mum and mums and dads that are, that are tuning in tonight as well, and some of those dads and mums are coaching their kids, but... Um, how has being a dad, I was fortunate to be over at uh, your, was it your 30th 
Maybe fiftieth, Bob. Your two daughters um, gave a fantastic speech about um, you as a dad, and um, but how is how is that? Um, sort of influence your coaching in, in being a dad? Well, I think what, you know, especially I found that once the girls got a bit older now, you know, I was, when I was coaching for the first time, the girls were fairly young. Um, and I will say, you know, coaching some of them, you know, I coached their hockey teams and soccer teams. And, you know, when I was and actually, you know, coaching within the AFL, the waffle system. And um, that's probably when I knew I reckon I could coach because when I could get a group of 13 year old girls who were, fundamentally scared of the ball um, to win a few games of soccer. I thought, well, yeah, we can't be going too bad. But um, look, I think being a dad, you know, certainly for me now, my girls are at the same age as a lot of the players that I was coaching. So you're able to sort of see how how they relate to the world um, and how they see the world through their eyes. But certainly from a, a father viewpoint, you're – and it's probably one of these things that you pass along generationally, like how I was brought up was probably how I brought up my girls and, and you know, in terms of – the expectation, it's, I saw something today which was talking about, you know, almost excellence. Excellence is something which you, you live. It's not something you just all of a sudden decide I'll do. Um, you know, and I guess you could argue, you heard the girls speak at, at my 50th, but I, I sort of looked at it and go, if you're going to do it, well, let's do it right because, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're raking the back lawn for the leaves or you're trying to work on your kicking for goal. Well, do it to the best of your ability and the best you can because why not? <laughs> I mean, listening to those the, um, the girls speak, I mean, clearly setting high standards of them, whether it was riding a bike um, down the beach or, or playing hockey, um, that, you know, to me resonated to your coaching and, and when you were coaching at the Crows. So talk to me about setting high standards and how you, uh, how, how you place an importance on that. Well, I think it comes down to, um, for me, I looked at it, you know, when you start as a, as a coach, you sort of have your own philosophies and, and they're your philosophies. And every coach out there listening will have their own philosophies of how they'd like the game to play, things they would emphasise. Some of that will be based upon their, their own upbringing or their own beliefs around coaching. And that's not, that's not for anyone to tell you how, how to coach. That's, that's your choice. Um, so I've obviously got philosophies about how the game. And then there's things for me which I've probably learned on the journey, which is almost the things that create success. Um, and, you know, there's what you see on game day, and that's probably why, I mean, people would say to me, you, you look fairly calm most of the time in the coach's box. Um, the reality was there wasn't too much I saw on game day that was unexpected. You know, if I see guys miss a kick, um, it's likely they've missed that kick at training a few times. So it's not like I'm surprised by them missing a kick. You're going to miss kicks, that's going to happen. And certain guys will be, you know, they'll, be, they'll make those errors on game day. So if they're making them at training, when there's no one there, they're going to make them in front of 50,000 people. So I didn't get agitated by, by those errors that were made. Um, but in terms of your, your question on standards, it would be, you know, and that's where I think the, the, the thing at the moment, which we really as, a, as an industry need to focus on is the, is the fundamentals of the game. That's the thing which I see from an AFL level viewpoint, which um, we need to keep building in our juniors and bits and pieces. So as much as, you know, it's important to have a philosophy and a, and a game style and a vision, you know, if I could leave the, you know, all the coaches out there with one message, and I was like, saturate the kids you're playing with the fundamentals. Make sure you've got enough footballs out there that they can kick the ball, handball the ball as much as they can because that is, that is key to any game plan. Um, I said it when I got to Adelaide. Um, I think when I got to Adelaide, you you were there, Podsy, and we sort of looked at the previous season um, and the numbers from the previous season suggested we were in the bottom two or three for skill efficiency. And so I said, well, yeah, there's no point 
having a game plan which we subsequently put in place, which was around quick ball movement of halfback, play on, take the game on, um, be hard to play against by attacking the opposition in all phases if we're not able to keep the ball when we get it. So the skill fundamentals became important and you'll remember well, you know, when we started off and I said, right, let's do some, you know, with the players, I said, we're going to do some skill basics. And, and they sort of looked at me like, yeah, okay, what does that mean? And it was, it was good old fashioned lane work, but you know, we were doing lane handball, you know, starting a meter apart into two meters apart into three meters apart. And the reality was that, that gave me a really clear indication of exactly who could and who couldn't, because it was amazing that we had guys playing AFL standard who on their left or opposite hand, couldn't handle the ball two metres across to a, part, uh, to, a, to a player running alongside them. Now, that might sound to a junior coach out there going, well, how do you get to AFL level when you can't execute a basic handball type skill? The reality is they're the gaps on, that we're seeing at AFL level and that's why it's so important to, to spend the time, you know, on the skill fundamentals because that means that if we break off half back and that player happens to have it and happens to need to use his left hand and can't hit that target, that whole play shuts down immediately. And so that was why it was valuable. Now, after about two weeks of three weeks of doing skill fundamentals, it was fair to say the field players were getting a little bit edgy and going, well, yeah, when are we going to advance this up a little bit? And I said, well, we're starting to make some inroads, but we had probably six or seven guys, and you'd remember it, six or seven guys who were basically doing um, remedial skill work. And we're talking some senior guys, you know, 100-plus game players doing remedial skill work of, of, on their left and opposite hand to improve that. Um, and then I remember talking to one of our, our, our senior forwards and saying, he was going, well, this is, you know, I'm, I'm getting getting bored here would just, you know, I said, yeah, that's fine, but you will be the beneficiary of it because when you lay it out and someone hits it and they don't kick it at your feet or kick it over your head and it hits you right on the, you know, on the chest, you'll be saying, thanks, coach, that was a good idea. We did that skill fundamental And as it was, we actually ended up, that gave the guys enough um, confidence in their basic skills to be able to then make those decisions under game pressure and with decisions to be made. And that's where there's, you know, for a lot of coaches, there's always that trade-off and that balance between do I do game sense training whereby it's all about games and you know and and you're trying to move the ball and it's decision making and all those sorts of things or am I doing skill based and and I'm probably an advocate for a more even distribution some coaches really like high game based because the game requires decisions and pressure and that sort of stuff I'm probably a bit more the other way to go I want my players to feel comfortable executing all the skills they need to then we can introduce them with the confidence that they know that they can hit the 20 meter kick or they can switch the ball comfortably because otherwise in a game, if they're not comfortable switching it, they won't pull the trigger on it. They'll just look at it and go, not for me. Um, so we've got to build those fundamental skills and that's, that's pivotal. I reckon at, at any level of footy, however you want to play, if you haven't got good fundamental skills, um, you're, uh, you're going to be forever frustrated or chasing your tail. I do recall those times and uh, you basically stripped it right back, which, uh, which built a fan- fantastic foundation um, in those, in those years. Hey, um, I sort of read your CV out and obviously there's a lot of success in there and you talked about the mateship and, and you know, taking your team along for the journey. But um, what, what do you think, you know, winning looks like for a coach? It's, it's such a cutthroat industry at the AFL level. Even community coaches are all judged by wins and losses. But uh, where do you see winning as, as a coach? Yeah, this is, it really does depend what level you're at. And I think that, you know, I would... Uh, I would say, what is you know, what would it look like if you were coaching a um, a girls under fourteen team? Is is going to be maybe different to what it looks like if you're coaching the the men's eight grade amateurs? It really depends on what you want from your coaching, and what do you think the group you're coaching want? Because if you're driving to a point that you're trying to get them to the stage to achieve something that you want, there's a fair chance you either won't get there, 
or you know there'll be reluctant participants in in you you doing it at which point it won't actually work so it's it's often a good question to ask i know some of the school groups i work with was well what do you want out of being part of this you know we're going to play soccer here for nine week skills what, what do you want now they're going we want to enjoy ourselves we'll come up whatever they want to come up with um they might say i want to learn new skills about how we play they might go i want to be um I want to build friendships with my, my mates here so I can come back and play soccer again next year. Whatever it is, um, there'll be something that'll drive the kids in there. So winning will look different for everyone. Um, I think at AFL level, it's different again because the reality is only one team wins. Um, does that mean everyone else is a failure? No, it can't because there's lots of successful footy clubs out there that, you know, and the, in, the, in the days of, of now salary cap, you know, uh, drafting concessions, all those things, it's an, even, an evener comp. Um, it's hard to win. Um, but that doesn't mean if you don't win it, you're not successful. So I think I think you've got to sort of almost take your individual situation and say, what do I want out of my coaching? What do I want the kids I'm coaching or the men I'm coaching to, you know, to, to learn or to, to or to gain out of this experience? Um, and then ultimately, what does that look like at the end of the season? So when you gather them around, whether you've won two games or 22 games, um, they're actually part of that that journey with you. Now, the expectation and the you know, at AFL level, certainly, you know, the win-loss is, is a significant component because you're at the elite level, you're competing for um, a whole range of, of slightly different things, but that doesn't mean necessarily that's their sole driver. You know, I think that's the other side is to work out what the driver is for your players and for the group and even for the parents, you know, because if you sat down with a group under 13 boys' parents and said, what do you want out of, you know, little Johnny being on the team this year? And if he goes, oh, I'd like him to experience playing different positions, or I, I, you know, I'd like I'd like to see um, us, you know, try and train, you know, do some different things at training or whatever. Whatever it is, you'll find there'll be something in there you can you can get hold of. So regardless of the win or loss, you can you can move that group forward, and you can move your coaching forward, and they can tick off exactly what um, uh, what a successful year would look like. Right. Hey, um, a question about. Um you know, putting yourself in the player's shoes now, you know, we've got coaches out there who coach, you know, from the sidelines of community level. We've got coaches that sit up in a box. You know, you've got all, you had all the vision um, behind the goals. You mentioned that earlier, um, wide angles, you know, narrow focus. But, um, you know, the longer you're out of the game, they say, the harder it is to actually get that feeling of um, what it's like to be a player when there's, it's a 360-degree game, oval ball, well, you know, 36 players in the field. Uh, what did you do? To, to sort of try and put yourself back into that sort of player's shoe. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's funny. Even though you've been out of the game, the game fundamentally is the same. Um, the game's changed in terms of, I think, they're, you know, from where I play, they're, they're far better athletes. They're far more dynamic. They can retain their speed longer. So in actual fact, the game's probably somewhat slightly harder because of the fact that um, as much as it's probably not as physical as it was when I was playing, it's now it's more demanding because the time they have to make decisions um, is severely reduced from when I was playing. So um, I know last year I spent some time down on the bench um, coaching from the sideline and that was probably a little bit of a, you know, to get a bit of a feel for how, how they were seeing the game and, and to sort of see it a bit through their eyes. And it was quite interesting because you do, you, you got a slightly different feel for the game than you do sitting up in a box 100 metres away, as you say, with four screens watching all the bits and pieces go on with a myriad of stats coming through. Um, I found that a really good experience. I mean, I think it's, you know, you do get a strong feel for it and you do understand that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a human game. I mean, there's a whole range of emotions they're going through and being there and seeing them gave me a really good feel for um, what they were feeling 
whether they felt they're on top in the game, whether they felt they're under pressure, whether we felt we were just getting frustrated by too many mistakes. That's hard to pick up from the box. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of the community coaches who would, most of the time would be down on the ground or whatever, just spend time, especially with your senior players, they're a really good uh, check for you to go, well, how are they finding the game? Um, how are they traveling? How are they, you know, what are they they're doing? Because sometimes as a coach, you think you might have the answer, but, you know, if the answer is not actually what they're feeling, they might get slightly confused going, well, hang on, I think we're getting on top around the stoppage and you're telling us that we're getting smashed. You know, how does, how does that work and, and go? So sometimes at AFL level, the numbers can be deceiving um, based on what they're feeling. So you might be down, but they might be feeling like, no, we're getting control of this game. We just need to tidy up in this area or this area. So um, in terms of being out of the game and having a feel for it, I think you just have to expect and understand that the game's, the game's a hard game. There's lots, there's lots going on out there. Um, the empathy for the players to go, you know, errors are errors. They don't deliberately make them. I'm, I'm pretty confident. I'm encouraging anyone who's gone out and deliberately tried to make a mistake or kick the ball to someone else or drop a mark. That's that's footy. Um, at the end of the day, I always said, if you if you're they're going to make a mistake and all players are going to, well, don't pick them. That's a choice you have. <laughs> okay, let's press pause with our chat with Don right here. I trust you're getting the picture that Don is seriously passionate about football, sport, and coaching. He has clearly built up an extensive amount of knowledge over his journey, and I hope you're all enjoying some of his insights. Join us for part B, where Don takes us into the coach's box, talks about his two favorite words, attitude and effort, still tattooed on my brain, and discusses what golf has taught him about life and coaching. Until then, stay safe.